The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I forgot what day it is. Tuesday? Holy moly. I was about ready to jump on this podcast and say happy, you know, whatever day. And then I realized I had no idea what day it was. Fairly certain it's Tuesday, which is great if you guys are counting on me to tell you what day it is because, you know, we're all in this weirdness together. Uh, It is Tuesday. I'm sure of it. I'm looking at a calendar right now. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Bespris, your always gracious host who remains incredibly thankful that you guys are still giving me the time of day, even when there's nothing at all to talk about. So we're talking about something. And I'm really at this point praying that we get any kind of sports news before I run out of things to talk about on this podcast. Um, It's weird. We're in kind of an off season. I think people are losing touch with sports, but I also think that if we get any kind of announcement... I don't know when it's going to be. It might be two weeks, might be four, might be six weeks. There's going to be this insane surge, and I can't wait to be a part of that, to be able to just dedicate a day, two days, a week, whatever, to just exclusively talking about sports. Some kind of return. All of the news right now, generally, at least in terms of who's doing what, is baseball-related. Um... Baseball's in a a battle now between their Players Association and the ownership on really pay, who's going to take what, if there's going to be a pay cut involved. And they'll be fighting and they'll be scraping and clawing, and hopefully that's how this is. It's going to be a public negotiation, which I I guess is not great. Um, But hopefully that ends with them playing some ball games and everybody being a little bit irritated, but maybe getting out onto a field and then we can put it on in the background. Meanwhile, the uh, Korean baseball is in full swing. Our guys over at Hoopball Gaming are doing a great job of breaking that down. In fact, today's episode of Today in Sports Betting, which is a Hoopball Gaming podcast, uh, Devin Ellington, Iris Silver, and our DFS expert, one of our DFS experts, Andrew Hansen, got together for a three-man show breaking down how to play DFS of KBO games and also, of course, betting the the nightly card. So they're just doing some wonderful work over there. Uh, Steve and Nate still putting together some great Rocket stuff over at Hoopball Fantasy. That's the latest team that they're breaking down. We've done that here on this podcast, but I think it's really cool for you guys to get a couple different looks at the same organization. And so there continues to be a lot of good stuff floating around out there. We got, uh, as I mentioned, a new Hoopball Bulls episode yesterday, Hoopball Clippers episode yesterday. A Hoopball Pelicans episode yesterday, another one of those coming up here in the not-too-distant future. I know Hoopball Clippers will have another episode uh, towards the end of this week. So really excited about the fact that despite all of the the crumminess, we've got a lot of good stuff going on here at Hoopball. We're having a, we're having a good old time. That's really nice, actually. And uh, shout-out, by the way, to our live show pros, because tomorrow... They are, again, I told you guys about this last week. Tomorrow, the live pros over at HoopBall are putting together a real expansion draft. It's really cool, actually. This is a really neat thing that they're doing. I can't wait to watch the show. I probably won't be able to watch it live, but I will be able to watch it on repeat because it's saved on YouTube. 
but Doug Santino and Will are are putting together the first episode of the Hoopball expansion draft. They're creating a brand new team, and they're explaining basically how this would all work, where the players would come from, and then they're going to draft them over the span of a few weeks. This is a big time project that these guys are putting together, and I, I I'm I'm going to hype it for you because I think it's going to be really cool. Uh, a lot of us don't know a lot about how the NBA would expand if it were to do so. Um, Doug is actually at the forefront of that among the uh, the hoop ball guys, and so they're they're putting it together. Shout out also to once again Steve Vitovich for helping organize a lot of this stuff too. So cool stuff going on at Hoop Ball. Hope you guys will check that out. And uh, now let's do a podcast today. We turn back into our team by team breakdown. We have of course completed now four of the six divisions in the NBA. So we're down to just 10 teams left to break down. I hope that'll last us about two and a half weeks. Maybe we can stretch that out a little bit longer. That'll get us pretty close to the start of June. And man, I I like, we've got to know something by the start of June, right? That's about three weeks away. That's my birthday, actually. June 1st, I'll be 37. And I hope I can celebrate with information on one of our major sports leagues. And I'm sure this is being a basketball podcast. You guys are hoping, like me, that uh, we get some news on the basketball front. There's been a weird battle shaking out in the basketball media landscape. The Shams versus Woj battle that usually just comes into focus when the two guys are trying to break news on trades and free agents. But today, for whatever reason... These guys are fighting about whether or not there was a poll taken among NBA players of who would want to bring the season back. So first Woj said there was a poll, and then Shams tweeted that there was no formal poll, and then Woj worked the word informal into a tweet that he was writing about the article that they had written up. So you can see they're beefing right now. Obi-Wan and Skywalker, or whatever's going on with that whole thing, those two guys, remember, they they worked together a long time ago, but they're beefing now. Uh, and some breaking news that some of the biggest superstars in the NBA held a private conference call, basically to say, "Look, we need to we need to have a united front that we want we want the season to come back." Generally, those are players that are in the playoffs, but there's a lot of guys that aren't in the playoffs that really need to see some of you know whatever that revenue might be. So anyway, we'll see. Just a lot of beefing right now. Doesn't actually get us anywhere from an actual basketball standpoint. But it is, well, pretty silly. Let's talk about a team, shall we? No sense piddling around anymore. We need to move into the Central. The Central Division. I couldn't decide over the weekend if we want... To go Eastern or Central next, but we'll go we'll go, or Atlantic or Central next. Excuse me. So we're gonna go Central, uh, which of course is the Indiana Pacers, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Detroit Pistons, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Chicago Bulls. Some interesting teams to break down in this one. I can't bring myself to start with the Pistons because that would make me want to cry. Uh, I don't want to start with the Bulls because I actually think there's gonna be because of shakeups in the front office, and eventually we'll cover all of these teams, but. Uh, Bulls, I think, are going to deserve maybe a little bit more scrutiny. Maybe we'll even get Greg Moraz of the Hootball Bulls podcast on here to help break it down a little bit. Um, just in terms of things might that might change there, because it sounds like Jim Boylan might be on the outs. So I want to start with the Indiana Pacers. 
which I realize there's no real rhyme or reason to what I'm talking about here. I'm coming up with these excuses for why I pick one team over another. I just want to talk about the Pacers. Is that fair? That's good enough, right? I just want to talk about the Pacers. The Indiana Pacers were, by all accounts, one of the more predictable teams in fantasy, but I don't know that it was necessarily the best thing all the time. Indiana finished this uh, portion of the season, whatever the hell you want to call it, 39-26, and 26, 13 games over 500. They were the five seed, tied with the 76ers and two games back of the Heat for any kind of home court in uh, the NBA. The Pacers last year were 48-34, and 34, and the five seed <laughs> in, in the Eastern Conference, 14 games over 500. They had a win percentage of 58.5. So, by all accounts, they were almost the same team. Win percentage went from uh, 59 to 60, if you're rounding. 58.5 to 60. That's awfully tight. I'll give the Pacers a lot of credit, because I thought with the big changes that this team was going to incur that they would actually take a tiny step back. And perhaps if you go back to some of those shows in July last year or August when the NBA season win total numbers came out, I talked about how incredibly difficult it is for teams to make strides forward repeatedly. Remember, the Pacers were 48-34 and 34 two seasons ago, then they were 48 and 34 last year, and then they were now 39 and 26 this year. So a lot of what I said was holding true in that a couple seasons back when Oladipo came in and made a big splash, they took a giant step forward. And I said, look, I'm not going to bet on that again. Teams don't usually take those big leaps two seasons in a row. Oladipo, of course, ended up getting hurt partway through last season and so they stayed exactly the same, which was the right call. You know, you play uh, the under, basically, for them to not to continue to improve. Now, this season was sort of its own weird little microcosm. My expectation was that the addition of Malcolm Brogdon was going to be extremely helpful, but the loss of Victor Oladipo and then the uh, eventual return of Oladipo to the lineup was going to create uh, a lot of inconsistency. Same deal for T.J. Warren, who is a pretty high-usage guy. I'll let him do a whole lot. Not a ball-handling usage guy. He's a, he's a shot-chucking usage guy. And so the question really was this year, how are all these pieces going to fit, and then how are they going to refit once the team's preeminent player is back? Well, for better or worse, it took Oladipo a long time to get back out on the court. He only ended up playing 13 games this year and really wasn't at all himself. So what you got instead was a Pacers team that did have time to figure out how the pieces fit together and didn't have the disruption, at least not early in the season, that we expected. And also, we didn't get a chance to see if they would have ramped up late in the season because, well, late in the season just didn't happen. So from a reality perspective, this was kind of a weird year. It was a little bit of a strange season for Indiana. Going way the heck back, if we turn the clock back again to our podcasts from back in the summertime, Indiana's number this year was 48 and a half. And I liked the under at 48 and a half because I thought that all of this stuff was going to create this, uh, this, this struggle. And, well, it was going to be close. It was going to be close. 
because they're 13 games over 500 at the moment with 17 games to go. To get to 49 wins, they would have had to gone 10 and 7, which is pretty damn close to what their actual season win percentage was. So, kudos, Las Vegas. You had this number about right. The reason we went under was because of all the pieces fitting together. And if you really want to know, you can just do 60% of 82, and they would have been at 49.2. Say they were on pace to get there, but barely. And then were they going to be playing better or worse as the season was winding down? It was going okay for them. It took them a few games to get used to having Oladipo back, then they were kind of hovering in that 500 range for a little bit. They were 7-3 and three in their last 10, though, so they were starting to play a little bit better. Now, from a reality perspective, I think the Pacers were feeling pretty good about themselves. They were staying in a nice playoff spot without Oladipo. They were getting him back and an opportunity to re-ingrain him in the offensive and defensive systems they were running. So everything was coming up roses and until this season shut down. Truthfully, that's probably going to be a little bit of a scary team to play in the playoffs now because they were decent without their key guy, and now he's had time to rest. But did he have time to actually get his sea legs underneath him? I don't know. From a fantasy standpoint, this team had, by all accounts, six useful fantasy players, but really only one of them, one and a half of them, far exceeded expectations. There was actually a lot about this team from a fantasy standpoint that underperformed, which feels weird because this is a team of guys that, frankly, we liked. We had a lot of buy low recommendations on Miles Turner, who did, to his credit, get better as the season went along. Miles was number 38 over the team's last 25 games at about two and a half blocks a game and over seven rebounds. That was a big deal because early in the season, his rebounding and his blocks were lower. He was around six rebounds and around two blocks, going from six to seven and change in one category, going from two to two and a half in the other category. That's a big deal. His shooting wasn't great this year. He took a lot of three-pointers, and as the power forward for the most part, he just wasn't able to get as close to the bucket. So overall, it was a disappointing season. But... For someone that was drafted probably around 30 and was hovering in the 70s and 80s for a while, the fact that he finished at 52 was actually kind of a relief. But, at the end of the day, he underperformed. Malcolm Brogdon. By the way, we weren't super high on Miles Turner. He was, I think, as we were uh, talked about on the podcast way back when, he was sort of like the last of that first chunk of, Because of all of the moving pieces on this team, I had a lot of fear around who was going to be doing what. So I think we got the Miles Turner one mostly right, which was, yeah, you're probably not targeting him, but as he got off to a slow start, we wanted to buy low. Here's one that we got a little bit wrong. Malcolm Brogdon, who got off to a rip-roaring start with no Victor Oladipo, cooled off about as much as anyone in the NBA. Because we were pretty high on Brogdon coming into this year with the expectation that he was going to be a percentages booster and was going to have at least half a season to just, well, go full throttle. Well, one of those two things was right. A half a season, he went full throttle, and he hit his free throws, but his field goal percentage was garbage. He got out from beside Giannis Antetokounmpo, Eric Bledsoe, and Chris Middleton, and he found it much harder to get clean looks at the bucket. 
Might that have improved alongside Oladipo? Maybe. But as we talked about, and it's lesson one of our lessons of the year, usage is value. And even if his field goal percent ended up going back up with Oladipo getting right, the usage was going down. It just wasn't there. So I had high hopes of Malcolm Brogdon being a top 50, top 60 kind of guy. And for a while, he was sitting in that top 25 to top 40 range. But then he fell off hard, and he was number 170 over the team's last 20 games, moving his season ranking down to 85. Very surprised at how poorly this season ended up going for Brogdon, especially after that hot start. Seven assists on the year, 16 points, but under a steal, bad field goal percent. Good free throw numbers, but not many three-pointers, and just overall left kind of a weird taste in everybody's mouths. So we were right to fade Miles Turner, but we were wrong to go hard on the Malcolm Brogdon train. Jeremy Lamb, when he was healthy, he was decent. Number 92, that's about what we were hoping from him. He's one of the few guys on this team that performed pretty much right around where he was expected. TJ Warren, oh, by the way, let's talk about Justin Holiday, who ended up uh, solidifying himself as a really useful backup in kind of that, and we talked about the desires on yesterday's podcast to get the, the plotters. He fits that mold because he played in all 65 games, and he's the only pacer actually, to play in all 65 games. So I don't want to talk too much about Justin Holiday. You know, he found himself a decent role on this team. Someone was always hurt, so that helped his minutes stay at the 25 mark instead of more like 20. He's not a guy you're drafting next year anyway, so I wouldn't worry too much about him here or there. Jeremy Lamb, who uh, was having a decent season before blowing out his ACL, he's obviously also not someone you're worried about for next year because he ain't playing maybe for this season, but certainly not until at least around the trade deadline. So that leaves us just, actually, the top four units on this organization. We talked about Miles Turner being a bit of an underperformer this year, but not horrific. We talked about Malcolm Brogdon being a bit of an underperformer this year, but also not really horrific. And especially if you sold high on him early in the season, well, I mean, geez, we talked about selling Malcolm Brogdon and saying, well, you got to get someone in the top 50 back. If you could have gotten someone in the top 75 back, it now is turning out to be a really good deal. Because the way he fell off was uh, extremely, it was explosive. There was the expectation that he was going to see a drop-off, but geez. So let's talk about the other side of the coin, because Brogdon underperformed, Turner underperformed, and we got one of those right and one of those wrong. On the other side... Demonis Sabonis and TJ Warren, I think you could argue both overperformed for a couple of reasons. Number one, Sabonis played in 62 of their 65 games, who was actually even better by totals than by averages. And TJ Warren, who at times in his career has been maligned for injury stuff, played in 61 of the Pacers' 65 games. And he always felt a little bit like a case study in get him on a team that cares and he'll play through some of the nagging stuff. Sure enough, another player leaves Phoenix and they start to play more games and look better. TJ Warren was always going to be a really easy value this year. That was clear as a bell. They didn't have Oladipo. He was going to slide up to be the bigger man where Jeremy Lamb was going to see his numbers cut into because he was the smaller of the two. So, Warren could play a bunch of power forward if they needed him to. He could play a bunch of small forward if they needed him to. He just had the versatility on the front side, meaning the big man side of the ledger, that this team needed. 
Whereas guards and wings, if you were going to go from the middle down, they have all sorts of guys that fill those roles. Jeremy Lamb, Victor Oladipo, Justin Holiday, Aaron Holiday, TJ McConnell, Doug McDermott. These are guys, all guys that saw decent playing time this year that I would call guards or at the very largest, a small forward. You ain't playing any of those guys at power forward. Whereas with TJ Warren, he's really more of a 3-4 as opposed to 1-2 or 3 that all those other guys I mentioned. Who are the backups in the front court on this team? Well, even if Demonis Sabonis and Miles Turner are soaking up most of the 4 and 5 minutes, you give TJ Warren even 10 small forward minutes and, oh, I don't know, the backup 18 power forward minutes, and he's already at 28. He ended up playing 33 this year, by the way. The backup big men on this team are Goga Batadze, who did play a fair amount when uh, Miles Turner missed a few games, and Sabonis, I think, missed a few. And then Jakar Sampson, who's barely a forward. He's barely a big man. They really just don't have any backup bigs on this team. So you knew T.J. Warren was going to see plenty of opportunity to play. The question was, was he going to get enough shots? And as it turned out, he actually led the team in field goal attempts at 14.2. So he ended up being one of those ones where you thought, all right, the opportunity is there for this guy on a team that, especially with Oladipo out, is going to need somebody that can do a little bit of scoring in that starting unit, go grab a few rebounds, although he let us down a tad in that department, uh, and do it on good percentages. That's been his claim to fame lately, and he did it. He might end up being the best pick on this Pacers team, but we also need to talk about Demonis Sabonis before we can start to size up what it all means going forward. Sabonis finished at number 45 in nine category on a per-game basis, but I think there is this... I want to figure out how to present this without sounding like I'm knocking Demonis Sabonis. Because I said it right when the season started, my greatest regret on Fantasy Draft Night was not taking Demonis Sabonis sooner. Too many times, I tried to let him fall one more round to me, and too many times, I missed him. I had a chance to get Demonis Sabonis in the seventh round of one of my drafts. I took Kelly Oubre, so I'm not all that upset about it. But then Sabonis went after that. Would I have rather had Demonis Sabonis over Kelly Oubre? I mean, I guess they've ended up relatively close to one another. But yeah, I would have rather had Sabonis. Played more games. More fun, I think, to own on a fantasy perspective. Another league. Thought about taking Demonis Sabonis. <sighs> in the sixth round. Passed up on him and he went in round seven before it could get back to me. So this is, by the way, that also ties into lesson number two, which is get more aggressive after the fifth round, after pick 60. I took Julius Randle because I thought, oh, this guy's falling more than I expected, and I didn't take Demonis Sabonis, even though he was basically the next guy on my list. We've talked about this before, but I'll go over it again. Why did I take Julius Randle? Because his name was higher up on the charts, and I thought, I'm surprised this guy's still around. I just assumed I would never have him on my fantasy team, so I basically wrote him off. Instead of looking at the next guys I had which was uh, Jonas Nader's prodigal son, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, Kelly Oubre Jr., Gordon Hayward, and Demonis Sabonis. I had all these guys as my, these are guys I like to target in the seventh round kind of guys. And, I mean, what kind of an idiot am I not to take him in the sixth instead to just grab some guy who's falling? Who got back to me? 
Derek Favors and Ricky Rubio. Now, Rubio ended up being a good pick, but geez, Bespris. You just can't, you can't play games like that. All right, so here's the thing. Demonis Sabonis, he ended up going in that 75 range in a lot of drafts. 65 to 80. By all accounts, he was a massive steal in that department. Last year, by the way, Sabonis finished uh, at number 108. And it's, it's easy to forget that last year he averaged 14 and 9.5 and, and 3 assists on 59% shooting and didn't finish inside the top 100. But the issue with him last year was they played him pretty much exclusively as the backup center. He only played 25 minutes a game last season. And so the opportunity this year was take all the stuff he was doing and then just add basically 50% to it. Dude played 35 minutes this year instead of 25. That's huge. That's almost 50% jump in minutes. It's 40%. A 40% jump. I mean, we're talking about colossal stuff. So now suddenly he's at 18.5 points, 12.5 rebounds, 5 assists. The other stuff didn't change almost at all. In fact, his field goal percent went down considerably from 59% to 54. But because he took so many shots, it actually had almost the same positive impact. His free throw percent was pretty close to the same. Went from 71.5 to about 73. So that remained a net negative. Turned the ball over 2.8 times, pretty high total there, but the five assists from three to five assists, that's a big leap. And of course, one of the issues with Sabonis is that he's a popcorn stat guy. 0.7 steals, 0.4 blocks. That's pretty much where he's going to be at seemingly no matter how many minutes he plays in a basketball game. But opportunity, usage is value. He got to play 40% more minutes season over season. Now, Here's the downside. And I want to loop back through almost all the players on this Pacers starting lineup because there are some obvious downsides and we want to make sure we avoid the pitfalls. Zabonis has almost nowhere to go at this point. He played 35 minutes a game, was largely healthy, handled the basketball, a truckload, which does it come down with Victor Oladipo back? Eh, I think when they're running their sets through Sabonis, I don't know that that's at the expense of Oladipo. I feel like Oladipo's touches are mainly coming in the ball in the guard-dominated offensive sets, which is going to hurt Malcolm Brogdon more than anyone else. But whatever. Let's, for argument's sake, say somehow Sabonis keeps his assists at five. He ain't playing more than 35 minutes a game, at least not if they want to keep him somewhat healthy. I don't know that he's taking more shots. I don't know that he could possibly grab any more rebounds. This feels a little bit like the ceiling. The only way this changes is if his shots per game go up or does his free throw percent go up. And that feels like a stretch with him. We sort of, I think we have a pretty good idea of what he is at this point. Dude over the last three seasons has shot 75, 72, and 72% at the free throw line. He's just a 72% free throw shooter at this point. As he's playing more minutes, his shots are going up. He took more three-pointers this year, which we don't really want. 
Steals and blocks, eh, you know, small, minor changes, but mostly from a per 36 standpoint, those stayed about the same. And then the big, well, big change was that assists went up by a bunch. But I just, I don't see how that's the type of thing that can stay higher over the course of a year. What goes up for him? Free throw percent? Doubt it. Field goal percent? Doubt it. This is sort of a max out for Demonis Sabonis. So I worry he might get overdrafted next year if people think he takes another step forward. I just don't know where that step would be. Where could it be? He got a lot of touches this year on this team, considering how many guys, how many scoring options they have on this roster. Where does his, where does his game improve? I feel like it's got to be free throw percent or nothing, and I don't think I can bank on that. So this is a dude that's probably going to get drafted around 40 next year. And you sort of wiped out the value. Now, again, I know because he was durable, he ended up as a third-round guy on a totals basis. And that's important. It's nice to have a guy who's out there playing most ball games. Last year, he played 74, so he missed eight games last year, just, a, just three this season. So, you know, generally pretty durable. He's played 74 or more games in each of his three non-shortened seasons. So he's he's hit that roughly 90% threshold on games played in every in all of his first four seasons in the NBA. But of course this season put a big strain on him. He had to play a lot of minutes. Can that does that hurt him next year? Does the shortened season this year mean that he has even more in the tank for next season? I think we're splitting hairs a little bit. I get the feeling this is who he is and this is what you're getting. So if you're drafting him at 40 next year, you better hope he stays healthy the entire season. TJ Warren, I think, probably falls again next year, which is fairly remarkable because we've seen this act over and over again. Was he better or worse with Victor Oladipo back? The answer is he was actually better. He had 58% of his shots his last 20 games. He was number 26 on a per-game basis over that stretch. 20 points, 4 rebounds, over 1 assist, half a block, a 3-pointer, 57 from the field, 82 at the free-throw line. I don't know why we should make any large-scale adjustments to what he's going to be doing. He's shown himself to be uh, a really nice, kind of complimentary, but also high-ish usage scoring player who's now playing better on defense. I think they love him, and I don't think his game suffers next year, especially with Jeremy Lamb out for most of the season. So if you're worried about that, cutting into his playing time. I think TJ Warren, I mean, he may have been, he might end up being one of the better picks in fantasy this year. If you look at his totals value, he was number 36. That's pretty remarkable. That dude was getting drafted where? 100? He was right around 100, I think, in almost every league. Yeah, what do we got here? It was number 98 in uh, arguably my most competitive league. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go in that 80 to 100 range again. And I'll scoop them up every damn time. What about the guys we said underperformed? Well, I think you probably do finally see the draft day drop-off for Miles Turner, who has been pretty consistently getting selected in the third round, mid-third mid round, right around 30. And, you know, this, this is probably, unfortunately, with him playing more power forward, this is probably where he's gravitating, which is more three-pointers, lower field goal percent, Free throws, fine, unspectacular, but doesn't kill you too much. And then you just hope that he can keep the blocks in that two and a half range instead of down near two. 
If you want blocks from a guy who is not going to tank your free throw percent, but also isn't going to do a lot else for you, Miles is your guy. Of course, blocking two to two and a half shots a game means you also have a really high floor. You're always going to be inside the top 75 if you block two and a half shots and play in most of your team's games for a year. I would happily take Miles Turner around 50, if only because blocks are so damn valuable. And even if he underperforms by a round, to me, that's not the end of the world. Because let's say he plays 75, I don't know how many games are going to be in next season, but let's assume, let's just say 82 for argument's sake. If he plays in uh, 74 of those games and misses eight, and he's blocking two and a half shots a game, you're talking about 170 blocks. Look at your Roto stats and think of what 170 blocks would do for your team. Monster. So I think perhaps Miles Turner ends up a tiny bit underdrafted, but really I actually think he probably ends up getting drafted almost right on the nose. And Malcolm Brogdon, I think, gets overdrafted. I think he plays better next year, but he's shown himself to be a bit injury-prone. He's shown his field goal percent didn't hold up to scrutiny here as more the man. I do think he's better from an efficiency standpoint next year. But if this team really is mostly healthy, again, no Jeremy Lamb, but, you know, the big fish, the Oladipo, Demontis, Miles, TJ Warren, the guys that are going to be taking a lot of shots alongside Brogdon, I just, I don't see how Malcolm Brogdon exceeds this season. You know, with this team mostly healthy down the stretch, Brogdon averaged 14, 5, and 7, but on 42.8% shooting, he just, he wasn't as heavily involved. There's sort of no way to argue the opposite. 14, 5, and 7 isn't bad, though. The issue, of course, being almost no defensive stats, the low field goal percent. So those could be a little bit better. But, of course, what I just listed off put him at number 170 over that stretch. So you got a long way to go. I would take Malcolm Brogdon, but I think he's overdrafted. And for that reason, I doubt we end up with too many of him next year, which is a damn shame because, like I said, I thought he would be better this season. I think he disappointed a lot of us. Not a useless season, right? But not a good one, especially missing 17 games. That hurt a little bit. What's the lesson to be learned from a team like Indiana? Well, when a team changes pieces a lot, which this team did, you have to be pretty cautious. I don't know that you could just avoid the team altogether because it took too many things off the table. But again, you eyeball who has an opportunity. And certainly that was TJ Warren on this team had a huge opportunity Malcolm Brogdon seemingly had one, but fell off harder than we expected. I don't really regret that decision. I don't know that we learn too much because he took such a field goal percent hit and then a usage hit that it was sort of, well, a little bit overwhelming at times. And then with a guy like Miles Turner and Demonis Sabonis, well, that's a lot of reading between the lines. Who's going to play where and for how long? And they love Demonis. We've heard Miles Turner rumors, trade rumors floating around. Maybe we'll know more about this team going forward. But I will say this. I think Sabonis is slightly overdrafted, although I'm fine with taking him if you trust in the durability. I think Miles Turner is fairly accurately drafted, if perhaps even a tiny bit underdrafted. I think TJ Warren, despite having the most successful season on the team from a value standpoint, ends up underdrafted anyway. And then Malcolm Brogdon, who I think people probably remember his hot start better than his ice-cold finish, he's probably overdrafted as well. But maybe they make a move. We'll see. And finally, 
before we wrap up the team. There's Victor Oladipo, who deserved kind of his own segment on this one because Oladipo played in 13 games and was bad. 14 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists. Less than a steal, 39% shooting from the field, 78% at the free throw line. Yuck. Yuck. But it brings into into account a couple of key notes on Oladipo. Number one, the last game he played before the season shut down, that Tuesday, March the 10th, Oladipo went 9 for 16 from the field, 5 for 7 from downtown, and a perfect 4 for 4 at the free throw line en route to a 27-7-4 game with a steal and a block. He still didn't have his legs underneath him. How can we tell? Well, his steal rate was way down. His field goal percent was low, and that stuff comes back, but that fluctuates on a week-to-week basis. The steal rate. That's what we always that's like the Patrick Beverly barometer. You can always tell whether a guy is healthy or not. If they've been a big time defensive stat guy and then all of a sudden it's just gone, that just means they're not healthy almost every time. Oladipo was just showing signs of waking up. Remember, two seasons back, his first year in Indiana, he averaged 23, 5, and 4 with 2.4 steals and 0.8 blocks. He ain't getting that high again on 48% shooting. Last year, before he got hurt, he was at 19-5-5 with 1.7 steals, blocks disappeared, and he shot 42.3%. The real Victor Oladipo is probably somewhere in between. He had his big year, he had his down year. If he's really healthy next season, you're probably looking at a guy that's going to score about 20 points a game with about five rebounds, probably four and change assists, and probably upwards of 1.8, 1.9 steals. He's a monster in that department. I really do wonder where people are going to draft him because he didn't look good this year. A lot of people sat on him the entire season, which, again, don't draft injured guys. Please don't do it. Please don't do it. Please don't draft injured guys. They will ruin your season. What'd you get? You got one good game out of Victor Oladipo if you held him all year. One. Sure, you might have gotten another 15 out of him, but you got one. It's not worth it. It's never worth it. But next year... Let's say he's healthy coming into the season. He should be. Maybe we even get the playoffs. That could change things dramatically. If Oladipo looks great in the playoffs, he's going to wipe out whatever value he might have in fantasy drafts. But maybe, just maybe, he's still rusty and looks bad and Indiana gets wiped out by the heat quickly. And Victor Oladipo could end up getting drafted in the 50s. He could drop to 50 next year. 40s, 50s? And this is a guy that could, I don't think he's going to get into that early second round department like he did a couple seasons back, but he could very easily end up inside the top 35. So I think Victor Oladipo ends up as a small value next year, and I'm willing to take a risk on it. My Maybe if I have a late fourth round pick, that's a risk I would take. So much upside there. And if I can get him in the fifth, oh yeah. And that's your Tuesday edition of Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. Thanks for listening. I am Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Bug me if you like. I know you're out there, and we're all bored. Let's talk about something. Anything. Burritos. I don't care. This is a hoopball presentation. They always are. They always will be. Have a great Tuesday. Back tomorrow. Uh, More breakdowns. You know what's coming. We'll talk to you then.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.